First Things Editor's Desk Podcast. This is Rusty Lino, and I'm here in New York City at the Editor's Desk as the editor of First Things Magazine. And before I introduce my guest, Russell Berman, I want to urge all listeners to really think about their spiritual destiny, because if you're not subscribing to First Things Magazine, you have, you have a lot to worry about. So I really want everybody listening to this podcast to go online and subscribe to First Things Magazine. Well, Russell, now that I've gotten uh, the uh, advertising out of the way, uh, welcome to the podcast. We're going to talk about your essay in the June-July issue, State of Emergency. And for listeners, Russell Berman is a professor in the humanities at Stanford University and an accomplished Germanist literary scholar and commentator on the uh, cultural and political scene uh, throughout the West, the United States as well. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Rusty. Happy to speak with you. At the beginning of the piece, you evoke the ways in which our society is out of control or dysfunctional. Or, and the implication there is that every society needs to be under control. Is that fair? <laughs> or uh, under somebody's uh, control. <laughs> Probably not. It's probably not fair, but neither is life. Uh, the, 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 where I proceed from is um, different descriptions of the current era. Um, it's modern, it's postmodern, um, uh, but the terminology is less important than the issue. And that is that things have been changing. There have been changing in social patterns, in family patterns, in educational patterns, um, certainly enormous changes in technology in past decades. Um, uh, and maybe that's where I will zero in the sense that um, there's a very different media landscape than existed in the past, in which information can circulate much more freely uh, without the control, your term, of the gatekeepers of the traditional press. Um, we can still read the New York Times and the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, and first things, uh, but uh, we, um, we, can, we, can also, we can also just go to Twitter and, and curate what we read and mm. uh, experience and, 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 and contribute in ways that we can't necessarily to the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times. Um, that a freer flow of information was once touted as democratization. Now, I, oh, I remember that era. Yeah, it was the, the spread of the internet would make the world equal and give mm -hmm. everyone access. Uh, and now, all of a sudden, in some circles, some voices seem to be getting worried about that, cold feet about this opening of the public sphere to multiple voices. And the question is, how can it be brought under control again? Mm -hmm. uh, and the Biden administration just has set up a disinformation governance board. It has, it has suspended it. It hasn't, it hasn't eliminated it um, because of the protests against it. But I take that as one example of anxiety with regard to um, what is perceived by some as social disorder, what by, might be perceived by others as increments in liberty. 
Mm -hmm. So by, by your account and by my reading of, of, of your piece, the, the, the dysfunction, the disorder, the inability of the gatekeepers to sort of maintain control, this, this encourages uh, invocation of a very important concept in political thinking, which is a state of emergency. Uh, That's right. What, 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 what is what, what is a state of emergency? Uh, well, the state of emergency is the moment of exception where the law suspends itself, um, where the 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 executive, the government decides that the um, normal rule of law um, is threatened because of some um, extraordinary uh, challenge uh, that requires uh, an, 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 an elimination of traditional rights. So this is not um, an attack on the law from the outside, say by a criminal. It's not a um, breach of the law by the um, protester, the civil diso diso it's not civil disobedience, which is an mm -hmm. appeal to a higher law, but it's where the state decides that for some limited duration, traditional protections have to be suspended in order to ward off a greater danger, an insurrection, a an, an attack by an enemy, or as we've just seen, a pandemic. So um, martial law would be a kind of classic example where you well, martial law was the, the, the commanding officer in New York simply gets to dictate what you can and cannot do. We suspend all the laws of New York and the martial law takes place, takes its place. Well, yeah, martial law would be one possible mechanism in order which to, to, mm -hmm. to through which to carry out a state of emergency. Martial law might be declared if um, um, if a tsunami were heading toward Manhattan and people had to be evacuated, and there's no time to get warrants to get people out of their apartments. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, that could be an imaginal in, in a script for a for a Hollywood film. Um, uh, the um, the, the, the pandemic was perceived by some as such a threat to public health that governors could claim powers that they would not normally exercise uh, and restrict um, citizens' freedoms. Uh, and we saw uh, restrictions on freedoms of, um, of, of, of movement, of association, of exercise of religion. And depending on how one gauges the accuracy of that claim of emergency, this is legitimate or not. That's the state of emergency. Mm -hmm. We, you, you review in the American tradition kind of classic moments, uh, and you begin with the Louisiana Purchase, which I never thought of in in terms of exercise of emergency powers, but. But explain to listeners in what sense Thomas Jefferson was really just suspending the law. Well, Thomas Jefferson decided to take uh, the seizes opportunity to purchase all that, all that, uh, all that terrain. Um, he did it on his own without authorization by Congress. Um, 
one of the arguments was that that terrain could represent a, um, a military strategic vulnerability to the nascent republic if our adversaries were to occupy it and exercise it as such. Uh, what's interesting, well, many things are interesting. One is that uh, uh, here was a doubling of the size of the republic without any democratic legitimation. Congress didn't approve it. There was surely no vote of the uh, of the uh, of the of the original states in this. Um, what interests me, in addition, is um, the uh, just forced um, um, transformation of the inhabitants of the Louisiana Purchase territories into inhabitants of the United States. Uh, they did not get to vote as to whether they would become part of the American Republic or not. Um, that kind of transfer of territory was um, typical for um, uh, European politics at the time, where this or that province could be given to Germany, or excuse me, not Germany, given to Prussia, or taken from France, etc., without mm -hmm. a vote. There was no expectation of democratic uh, um, approbation of these kinds of territorial reorganizations. But it clearly mm -hmm. runs counter to the spirit, uh, the letter of. Uh, of the uh, of the early American Republic, nonetheless, Jefferson proceeded with this. This is an example of um, what one might call unconstitutional um, uh, action. Uh, uh, he regarded it as as warranted. the The emergency situation was not as obviously given as it was in the second example that I cite, and this is where. Um, Abraham Lincoln suspends habeas corpus in the face of the, um, the, um, the insurrection of the southern states. So here there's a real, um, a real emergency, uh, an immediate emergency. Um, the ha half, the, half the country is in revolt, um, and um, President Lincoln takes steps, including suspension of habeas corpus, which means that arrests can be taken place without regular legal procedures without court review. Um, that's possible within the Constitution, but that is a prerogative reserved for Congress and not for the president. Uh, uh, he argues that, he argued that uh, um, he had to do this in order to preserve the Republic. So um, whether he was right in that or wrong, where one stands on that issue on the empirical case is a separate matter, but this is the state of emergency. There's a perceived fundamental threat to the to the polity, to the to the state, to the, the, the to the political community, and therefore the law, Abraham Lincoln, suspends the law, the Constitution, in order to preserve all the other laws of the country. You point out that the kind of classic formulation comes from various Supreme Court cases in the 20th century where the justices or the opinion, writers of the opinion say, repeat the phrase that the Constitution is not a suicide pact, mm -hmm. um, capturing the sense that if the letter of the, if following the letter of the law leads to, I guess, the death of the Republic, then what goes, what's it good is it doing to the law? So you can suspend the law to save the law, so to speak. You can suspend the law to save the law, and that is um, um, based on the assumption that one can identify 
um, uh, convincingly a, um, a dire threat to the republic. So in, in, I mean, in a sense, it's a, there's, there's a wager here, uh, as in uh, you know, all, all consequentialist situations. You assume something might happen, and therefore you have to take a step, although you, it hasn't happened yet, because if it does happen, then it's too late to act. Right. You have a wonderful quote from Richard Posner, and it concerns actions taken during the war on terror. Um, I mean, various people have argued about whether or whether or not those actions were illegal. Um, but Posner, Posner says this, and I'll quote here as you quote from him. This is Posner speaking. Even torture may sometimes be justified in the struggle against terrorism, but it should not be considered legally justified. I found that to be just a wonderful formulation of the paradox. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, of it's as, it's as if Posner wants is very eager that the state of emergency not make inroads on the rule of law. It always has to be kind of, if you will, kept outside uh, mm-hmm. as the exception. <laughs> uh, that, this, this, this is precisely the issue that, uh, and it is a wonderful co- quote. Something can be justified, but not legally justified. Suggests that there are other criterias of other criteria of justice uh, uh, or of justification beyond the beyond the letter of the law, and that is then the state of exception. I'm not arguing that it was appropriately applied in the War of Terror. That's again yes. a historical empirical question, but uh, it's the, um, uh, the 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 this is the problem of the state of emergency where a a challenge is identified by um, the leaders of the state uh, who then claim the necessity of suspending um, um, legal restrictions. This that observation, you know, really speaks to the second half of the essay, as you point out, you know. Uh, it's the leaders who have to make the determination, uh, which makes sense. You know, we, you don't have time for a plebiscite if the tsunami is approaching. You don't have time for um, elections if, you know, the enemy is massing forces at your border and so on and so forth. So it's those in, in power who must make the determination. But this is kind of a perilous situation for a democracy. <laughs> and um, as you point out, it can be a great temptation. Uh, emergency is a very handy tool uh, with which to short circuit um, any kind of popular uh, dissent from the role of the elite. And you give the ex- I mean, you give many examples of this, but uh, one that really jumped out to me is uh, Justin Trudeau's uh, invocation of. I don't remember the name of the actual law, but it, it is effectively a declaration of emergency in, in Canada because of the truckers' protest. You know, this was a law designed to deal with um, uh, uh, Quebecois separatist terrorists who yeah. threatened the public peace as opposed to 400 truckers in Quebec who, had, who were making noise and being a pain in the rear end. But uh, Trudeau, it was like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's um, clearly an 
appeal to an existing law, a state of emergency law, um, and um, I think you and I agree that it was misapplied in this situation. Here you had an, a protest, an unruly protest, a uh, an annoying protest, an enormous public nuisance, but it was not about to bring down the um, the Canadian state, um, uh, unless um, um, Trudeau understands some greater fragility to Canada than is obvious to uh, to the rest of us. Um, you, Russ, you talked about this as a perilous state for democracy. Um, I'll agree to that, and I'll agree that. Um, uh, we, we can look at some of the other issues that I raise in the piece, but let me say, I think we should also you know, be prepared to face the face up to the fact is how perilous democracy is itself. Oh, I see. Yeah. You mean this as a general state of affairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The peril, democracy is perilous but to the extent that democracy uh, um, um, uh, does give significant weight to majoritarian decisions. Uh, one, one can't predict how they will Will, will will come out. Um, I think uh, an, an addition that uh, additional point that should be reflected on this context is that given how perilous, well, not just democracy, but political life is, our life in political communities is, um, how important it is to have um, leadership that has wisdom and character. Mm. Um, that's that's not a right or a left position, but uh, we, at, at a certain point when we delegate authority to um, political leaders, um, including legislators, but especially the executive branch, um, you know, we can only pray that um, that they're wise uh, because we are entrusting them with authority and power that that can be misused and. Yes, we have checks and balances. Yes, yes, we have um, uh, judicial review. But what the discussion of the state of emergency highlights is that this can be suspended. This can be right. suspended suddenly. And uh, we hope that it's people of goodwill and wisdom who have that authority. It's interesting that in the Canadian situation, the Canadian elite obviously uh, uh, felt that this was overreaching because uh, Trudeau walked it back about five or six days later. Yep. Um, and I, I mean, I don't have any inside information, but you got to believe that the sort of Ontario grandees and the financial interests and so forth in Canada said, whoa, you know, don't be doing this uh, because, you know, emergency is a, it's a way to, you know, impose order on disorder, but it, it, it can itself be a source of disorder could be a massive source of di disorder. I mean, I mean, emergency resentment and it 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 gener it will gen generate resentment among the truckers and among the, in in the population. But uh, I mean, another way to think about uh, the uh, the state of emergency is that it is a um, it is a temporary dictatorship, yeah. um, uh, and um, uh, and again the uh, the the. The, the narrative of the tsunami approaching. Um, um, uh, I'm, th I'm sitting here in San Francisco where in response to the earthquake, the um, martial law involved um, um, fire burning parts of the city in order to prevent the, the spread of um, a, much, much, uh, a much more destructive fire. 
decisions are taken. They're not subject to ju judicial review. You hope they're right, right? but they can be wrong. Uh, and I could imagine that uh, the, um, as you put it, the Ontario grandees, uh, look at what uh, Trudeau did, um, worry not only about um, uh, the um, potential for resentment in, in the population, but um, you know, even, um, even a liberal democracy could slide into a, um, into a dictatorship. Mm -hmm. you, you also, you, you observe that there's a, there are kind of informal declarations of emergency. And boy, we live in a time when there's a lot of emergency thinking out there. Uh, Trump gets elected, and I can't remember the name of the famous journalist, one of the editors at the New York Times said, uh, you know, the normal rules of impartial journalism have to be suspended. He's too much of a threat, et cetera. Uh, climate catastrophe, emergency, emergency, emergency. Uh, white privilege, racism, you know, the summer of 2020, uh, there was a kind of, we can't, we can't, um, you know, we, we can't let procedures and equal treatment get in the way of actually addressing this emergency situation. We seem to be addicted to emergency uh, in our in our time, or we seem to be seduced by it, or attracted to it, or increasingly dependent upon the language of emergency. Uh, there's there's a proliferation of the language of emergency, to be sure. I'm not prepared to say that we're addicted to it. I think parts of the uh, political class are addicted to it, and parts of the journalistic class are addicted to it for different reasons. For politicians, it means power, and for journalists, it's clickbait. Uh, the um, uh, but it's it's clear that there's been a proliferation of of uh, emergency discourses. Uh, you you mentioned um, uh, the pandemic, uh, and you're you're in New York. Clearly, Governor Cuomo used that to uh, um, to to increase his authority, to exercise executive authority outside. Oh, you could just sense his intoxication. When he was yeah. on TV, and oh, it was—I uh, agree with you. It was, it was a uh, kind of chilling. It's like, whoa, whoa, man, this is a drug. It's uh, it's an addictive drug. So that's the that's a specific uh, uh, gubernatorial exercise of emergency power. Uh, but I think uh, you're suggesting that there's a a larger um, cultural discourse of um, of emergency. For example the um, decision by um, journalistic leadership to um, suspend expectations of objectivity and balance as a response to the, the Trump election, um, probably not only the Trump election, but the, the, whole, the whole bag of uh, political correctness issues. Uh, and the, um, the alternative has been the... Um, um, uh, di dissemination of a model of advocacy journalism, uh, not just in um, uh, marginal organs, but in um, in uh, the the major the major um, examples of legacy press. Uh, you mentioned earlier the um, the disinformation board uh, that has now been mm -hmm. been frozen. Um, the um, the the Washington Post article on this of um, 
a couple of days ago entitled How the Biden Administration Let Right-Wing Attacks Derail Its Disinformation Effort. So this is the news reporting on, on, on the, the freezing of that. And um, it's just um, partisan advocacy journalism. It's not, uh, it's not a, um, a presentation of the administration side and the presentation of the critics side but it's a defense of the administration side and a denunciation of the critics. Uh, that's you know, maybe well-written partisanship, but it is certainly not uh, objective journalism anymore. This kind of emergency, you, 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 you indicate and, and, and evoke, uh, I think, effectively, the notion that uh, our populist moment is a increasing frustration with and rebellion against what you call a top-down agenda, um, and mm-hmm. I could see how in that in that in that context, um, it's very tempting to um, declare emergencies as a way of, as I said, you know, you it's a way of short-circuiting the democratic process if it doesn't go your way. Um, so you say in order to sustain its top-down agenda. Yet, that is to say, our, 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 our elite aspires to a permanent state of emergency to impose new, a new mode of governance by intimidation, censorship, and unilateral action. Uh, strong words, but boy, I gotta say, uh, increasingly ring true. Um, increasingly ring true. Uh, the pandemic, I, I was worried that uh, lockdowns and the emergency would um, Set a set a, a template, lay down a template for ongoing methods of social control that are um, that are are pretty overt uh, and 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 not 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 so not no longer the cast Sunstein nudge, <laughs> but instead right. the, the thou shalt and thou shalt not. Um, and then you also point out that the, that if this is right, and I think you are, that this permanent state of emergency, semi-permanent, or at least informal, really requires, uh, it requires, and this is an element of this on the right too, constantly amping up the rhetoric of threat um, so that everything is an existential threat, um, kind of 24-7. Um, and, and, and this does seem to be uh, um, much more prominent now than than I, than I can recall even a decade ago. Is that yeah. fair? Do you think that's more prominent? It's this looming crisis this, crisis that, climate crisis, you know, the, the threat of illiberalism, uh, fascism on the horizon. Um, uh, it, just, it just goes on and on. I think you're right. I think the, the dissemination of a um, threat perception is the corollary to the politics of the state of emergency. You justify the state of emergency by, um, by, by being able to point to a threat. Now, if the tsunami is really approaching, you can really point to it. Thinking here of the movie, what is it? Uh, Don't look up. Huh? Uh, mm-hmm. Objective catastrophe, we've got to do something. Huh? Um, although there's not much they can do at the end of the movie except pray, which is also a good response. Uh, 
But in terms of politics, uh, one has to ask whether the threat is indeed existential, whether the threat is uh, uh, so daunting that it requires a suspension of the law, uh, or whether that threat is um, uh, whether whether an existing social issue is being turned into something much greater than it is objectively in order to justify the threat, they justify the emergency declaration. So, you know, which is the dog and which is the tail is the is the question here. Right. Um, I think you know, frankly, I think that part of the uh, the 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 threat rhetoric. Uh, is a response by the political and journalistic class to um, keep the attention of a public that really doesn't care what they're doing anymore because they have very different interests and understand that many of the politicians aren't responding to their to their needs to their efforts to to live their lives etc. So threat the 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 amplified threat is um, a way to um, try to keep people listening who really don't want to anymore. I felt that, I, I agree, and I think that's very much behind a lot of hyped-up rhetoric about Ukraine. You know, bad Russians, you know, uh, um, you know, bad for them to invade, uh, um, you know, wish the best for the Ukrainians, but to, but the, but the public rhetoric is really a kind of good versus evil, unequivocal good versus unequivocal evil. And, uh, yeah, I find that that, um, I mean, uh, at least I, I kind of recoil from that way of talking about complex human events uh, any more than Trump is a threat to democracy. I always found in 2016, 2017, what? You know, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know so. it's a threat, I mean, Incompetence, sure. Uh, policies you don't like from my liberal friends, of course. But threat to democracy? I mean, <laughs> uh, I, well, for the record and for your public, I don't think that President Trump was a threat to democracy. I think that it's arguable that the um, trumped-up Russiagate narrative was a threat to democracy, or at least an abuse of democratic uh, opportunities. Um, and surely a lot of people justified to themselves who knew better that, again, they used emergency uh, thinking. Yeah, well, it may not be true, but it's such an emergency situation. We have to get behind this. Uh, perhaps. I, mean, I think emergency, I guess my, uh, I guess my sense is uh, I, I, I think it is very perilous to, to – to engage in emergency thinking, you have to be very, very careful. It's very seductive because it mm -hmm. justifies it justifies all kinds of corner cutting. <laughs> yeah. So, so again, if we could walk through the logic um, in uh, in in the human condition in this cosmos, emergencies can happen, and sometimes extraordinary measures have to be taken. Therefore, we have the opportunity for uh, states of emergency in order to, to to respond appropriately to that tsunami, to that insurrection. Huh? But uh, humans being humans, uh, they're very like they're li very likely to be some, um, perhaps disproportionately in the political class, who want to who want to take advantage of that and and invent emergencies 
in order to exercise control. And that's where um, the challenge of COVID could be expanded extraordinarily and where um, we can worry, you and I can worry, and maybe some of your listeners, that that uh, other issues, climate, et cetera, will be taken as basis for declarations of emergency uh, in order to restrict um, normal liberties. You conclude, and we'll conclude with this too, you conclude evoking for the reader, uh, well, urging the reader to sort of face the future uh, with, as you say, uh, character, courage, and patience. Um, and so what, like, what, where do you, where do you what, what seems to you most promising? Uh, what, what seems to you most promising in a, in a way of, of, of recovering, uh, recovering, I guess, functional politics rather than our current sort of dysfunctional world that, that um, seduces our elites into declaring these new emergencies? I don't know whether I framed the situation well, huh. but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know, in the in the article, I tried to describe some of the different dimensions of the state of emergency practices, if you will. Um, mm -hmm. the, uh, the 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 sense that you have to a bit listen to science at all costs, and therefore imagine that there's no dispute within science ever. Huh? Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, that's on the that's the. The negative side of the ledger. I have uh, confidence that um, you know, large swaths of the American public are are neither politicians nor journalists, uh, and that uh, are interested in living their lives and uh, uh, participating in their communities. And um, um, and and as I said before, sometimes just don't care about the um, uh, the, the the frantic antics. Uh, of the um, of the culture industry, uh, uh, sure people people watch it, people listen to it, but I think people live their lives and uh, want to get on um, with them, and um, uh, that explains maybe the frenzy with which um, uh, sometimes this emergency uh, uh, rhetoric uh, gets disseminated. Precisely as I said before, because people don't care that much. Um, uh, people, many people have some balance in their lives, um, look for ways to cultivate that, and um, only wish that the um, political institutions would provide stable frameworks in which they could um, um, pursue happiness. Very good. Well, hey, thanks for your time, and, and thanks for being on the podcast, and thanks for this wonderful piece in the June-July issue uh, of First Things. Thanks for having me, Rusty. <laughs>